Hi, welcome to Data Vault Alliance's new podcast, Unlocking the Data Vault with Dan Lindstead. My name is Cindy Meyerson. Uh, I'm going to be talking with Dan about all things Data Vault today. Dan is the author and inventor of the Data Vault. So I am going to ask you, Dan, because I've known you for years, but our audience uh, is perhaps just meeting you for the first time. So I would love for you to give folks, you know, uh, a bit on your background. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm Dan Linstead. I am the author and inventor of Data Vault, all things Data Vault, uh, Data Vault 1 and Data Vault 2. My background, basically, I started in the early 80s on a digital equipment corporation, VT180, uh, which stood for virtual terminal or something like that, uh, had a Z80 chip or a Zilog chip as the CPU processor and ran CPM uh, as its operating system. I actually started in assembly level coding on that machine. So I learned a lot about BIOS and input output systems and compilers and linkers and so on. And then I moved through the, uh, through the industry working in QA. I have a background in QA, QC at one of the world's leading compiler companies at that time. Uh, they're, they're no longer uh, the world's leading compiler company, but they were. And then I moved on to 4GL and worked in the industry as a consultant, as well as in tech support a little bit. And finally ended up, uh, ended up deciding that I wanted to move my career into data warehousing, BI and analytics. In other words, I was looking for more challenges and analytics was the only place that I could find new challenges around big data and streaming and all those other wonderful things. And that was about the early nineties that I, that I made that, that switch. Great, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I find it interesting that you've uh, moved through so many, I would say worn so many hats inside of IT. I want to also thank everyone for joining us uh, on this podcast. One of the things I'd be interested in is, um, Dan, could you share with us a bit about how you want this podcast to run, what you're looking for, what you're looking to deliver to our audience and what they should expect? Absolutely. I'm looking to deliver a series of messages through this podcast, everything from back to basics and into the weeds. Uh, and when we talk about basics, I'm speaking in reference to data warehousing and analytics basics, all the way up through the details of Data Vault on into the business layers, the value that Data Vault as a solution brings to the business, uh, along with a focus on some things that we have never talked about before, which include risk mitigation strategies and why the data vault was really invented and what it was built to do at a business level. So as we start getting into the podcast, one of the things I was hoping we could recap for folks is uh, our conference, um, just to let them know sort of how we reach out, how we actually keep our community, if you will, apprised and informed and help them to grow in their knowledge around data vault and some of the other technologies that we encounter in the industry. So could you recap the, the conference for us? Sure. The conference was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I've been running the conference now for quite some time. I think the first one was 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, don't quote me on that. I might've got that wrong, but but in reality, we've grown. We started out with 20 people 
way back then. This latest conference, we had around 170, about 50 of those were virtual online streaming. So we've come a long ways. And I really love the, the networking aspects of the conference. We focus on a single track as opposed to multi-tracks uh, type conferences. I've been to multi-track conferences and I really don't like them. Uh, I also been to these huge conferences like Oracle Open World where you feel like a number in a sea of people. You go onto the vendor show floor and you just get lost trying to find your way even to the vendors that you know. It's not like that in our conference. We really pride ourselves on being able to meet everyone that's at the conference and have good good exchanges, good networking sessions and good talks. And, and everyone gets to see the same presenter at the same time. I, I really love that aspect of the conference so that when we do go away on breaks, we can sit down and have intelligent discussions about what the presenter was doing or saying, and perhaps even offering uh, offering some help to the presenters. A lot of times the presenters will join us, they'll stick around and actually join us in, in our networking sessions so that we can sit down with them and say, hey, look, I solved that problem last year, or I ran into the same thing you just talked about uh, last year. And so here are some suggestions that might help you. So that leads me to another really cool thing about the conference that I like a lot. We always ask our presenters to bring the warts and all. We're, we're more interested in hearing the journey uh, what are the problems they're running into today? What are the things that they've solved successfully in the past? What are the things they're hoping to work on going forward? With that kind of an approach, we really hear the journey. Even if, even if people have just started their, their data ball journey, we hear about what they're running into, the issues, and so on and so forth. And so it gives us all a chance to, to find out how the data ball is being applied to mitigate risk or to find new solutions or to you know, do things with automation that haven't been done before, things like that. So really cool stuff at the conference. And the last thing I'll mention about the conference are the hands-on components. I've always felt you know, when I go to these huge conferences, it's nice to go to the vendor floor and talk to them, but you don't really get a chance oftentimes to put your hands on the technology unless it's you know, sponsored by one of these giant vendors, then they might have a lab, but it's a lab for only them. It doesn't include the other sponsors or the other vendors that are there. So we invite quite a few of our vendors to do hands-on sessions and we keep them to two hours so that you can get up and walk around, but you get enough time that you can get, get in and work hands-on with the tool through a solution with applying data vault knowledge. So it's really cool to see how these vendors deal with data vault in different, in different ways and end up with similar types of solutions during the build process. One of the greatest things about the conference has always been the network. I totally concur in um, the exchange of knowledge. It's always been more of a sort of an academic conference uh, in my opinion, rather than uh, definitely not a sales conference, which uh, has always been uh, something that I look forward to. So uh, I appreciate that. And the hands-ons are always great uh, from a perspective of if you want to kind of kick the tires quickly on something. It's, it's nice uh, that the vendors take time with you and uh, even after the hands-on. So 
with regard to that, um, when we talk about presentations and things, oftentimes at the conference, uh, you end up talking about, you know, what is Data Vault or why Data Vault? And I know that part of this podcast, it's definitely something that we wanted to get into uh, and carry forward. So if I were to ask you as a, as a, uh, maybe an, a newbie <laughs> coming into Data Vault, or someone who's curious, or a business user in particular, uh, as the business. So, why would I be interested in Data Vault? What what is uh, what is the benefit of even considering Data Vault? There are a lot of reasons to consider Data Vault, and a lot of benefits that come from it. But in order to explain that, it's going to take a whole lot of podcasts. And we will be covering a lot of that information, but I'll give you guys a a brief glimpse as to what that means. You really need to go back to the foundations of the definition before it was called Data Vault. And we actually had a name for it. I started building this solution and and it is a solution. It covers the modeling, the methodology or the implementation aspects along with the architecture components. It's, it's a solution for analytics and business intelligence that includes ways of working and, and the people. And it's all about solving business problems. At the end of the day, that's what we want to do in analytics and data warehousing is solve business problems. But the real name is Common Foundational Warehouse Modeling Methodology and Architecture. Of course, that's a mouthful, right? So what does that all at mean? Well, we needed a name so that it would sell and so it's easily referenceable and everything else. And so we slapped the name Data Vault on it and that seemed to stick. So that's how it got its name. But if you go back to the original naming convention of common foundational warehouse modeling methodology and architecture and then take a breath, right? You end up with this, this notion that it's a common approach to solving business problems that includes analytics and the ways of working. I really want to stress this. We can't do this without people and we can't do this without good governance and yes, distributed governance and agile methodology. We, we leverage discipline, agile de- uh, delivery and its methodology and the ways of working and we combine it uh, uh, to achieve incredible goals uh, with worldwide teams and split teams, large teams and small teams even, and so on. So Data Vault is all about getting to the business answer as quick as possible in the most efficient uh, and repeatable fashion as, as can be done. In other words, one of my friends likes to say, maximize the amount of work not done. And that goes hand in hand with MVP or minimum viable product. And so that's really what the focus is. So when we talk about data vault from a business perspective, we really want to address things like terminology and standards and implementation standards and roles and responsibilities. But terminology is the root of everything. If we can't agree on terminology, then we can't agree on standards. Right, because what means the the letter A means to me, the letter A means something different to you. And if we don't agree on what the letter A means, whether it's something called a data mart or something called a data warehouse, then how can we build one the same way, right? So that's really what that's about. 
and so in this podcast, we're going to continue down that journey and we're going to talk more about the details of why Data Vault and what Data Vault is. We'll give you solid definitions for it that you can wrap your hands around, both from a business perspective and a technical perspective. We're going to share some experiences as well in this podcast. We're going to talk about different clients and different customers that have presented at the conferences in years past, as well as some of the success stories that I've been involved in personally uh, and, and so on. But the, at the end of the day, if we want to roll it all up, what Data Vault is really designed to do is to help the business manage the risk of building a data warehouse or an enterprise solution. And yeah, an enterprise solution is not an easy thing. Whether you're a small team or a big team or a distributed team or a global team or anything else like that, it's just not easy. There's all kinds of risk. There's risk for people. There's risk for process. There's risk in data and poor quality data. We hear about that one all the time, bad data, right? But there's a lot of other risks that need to be covered. So the methodology aspect needs to be applied in multiple levels, levels or layers to really bring the business forward. The other thing that really got under my skin when we built DataWalt was this whole notion that it was an us versus them. It was an IT versus business aspect. And that's just not true. IT is a business and should be treated as a business, just like every other part of the business. We need to collaborate with the business. And so that really is part of the data vault mantra is learn to work with the business, collaborate with the business and be a part of the business. But when IT grows up or matures into a business, a lot of accountability comes with that statement. And this is something that IT isn't used to, at least today. They're used to being told, fix the data, and then they don't know what to do with it because it's not their data. It belongs to the business, right? So there's all kinds of things that have to be mitigated when we start talking about risk. Well, one of the things I ask you, I actually wanted to sort of bring up, and we haven't we haven't uh, talked about this uh, prior in depth, but it kind of touches on a couple of things. You know, in the last five, 10 years, we've heard a tremendous amount about, you know, digital transformation and, you know, data modernization efforts. Uh, we have also heard, you know, quite a bit about, you know, agile and uh, scrum and things like this. And uh, from a business perspective, uh, are you planning on sort of addressing this? And let me step back from what I'm saying to explain my kind of my question. Um, from a business perspective, it's oftentimes easy for the business to pour money into hardware and software solutions um, without necessarily um, investing, I would say, in training for people or even uh maybe stay, taking a step back and addressing uh, methodology. In other words, it's one thing to try to fix a problem with a new widget or a new shiny object uh, versus actually stepping back and, and looking at the whether or not they've selected a methodology to wrap all of these efforts around. So are you going to be addressing this as we go forward also? I think it would be an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We should put that down for another podcast. 
I will say one thing briefly about that. Uh, and anyone who knows me, of course, knows that I'm long-winded. So brief usually means about five to 10 minutes, but I'll try to keep this shorter than that. We had a saying at Lockheed, uh, if someone asks you, do you have this software or do you have this hardware? The answer is yes. But that was, wasn't the right question. The right question is, do you use this software on a daily basis? That was the right question. And the answer to that question is 90% of the software or hardware at that time was not used. It sat on the shelf or it was outdated or it was mothballed or it collected dust in the back of a room, you know, because it couldn't be maintained. I mean, I kid you not, we had server hardware servers with vacuum tubes in them. You know, it was crazy. Why, why were they still on the books? Why were they still taking power? You know, those were power leakages, so to speak. But, you know, it, it, it wasn't as bad as I'm painting the picture to be, but that was the general sense of the word. So if you come back to software and say, well, why didn't you use all the software that you bought? Well, because sometimes the software was purchased for a specific feature and a specific business user requirement that didn't last. And the other bigger reason why the software sat on the shelf and collected dust was because lack of training, right? So when you talk about data warehousing as an industry and you talk about analytics as an industry, it's a real shame. There's not enough taught. There are some universities that do a fantastic job of teaching these concepts but there isn't enough taught that what we're really building, when we build a data warehouse, whether we use software packages or not, when we build a data warehouse, what we're really doing is building software. And so we need to follow a lot of the software mantras. And I learned this in Q&A, uh, sorry, QA, quality assurance. Some people call it QC or quality control, but we're building software, we're following software. We've got a dev, we've got a test, we've got a release cycle. We've got a production, we've got a, a, a feedback loop in terms of cycle time reduction or discipline agile. We've got the sprint reviews. We have to go back and fix things, right? So we're writing code. In some cases, the code is SQL. In other cases, it's Python or Ruby or Rails or you know whatever else comes next year. But, but the point is the end result is it's all software and we're dealing with data and we're dealing with inputs and outputs and screens and, and reports and so on and so forth. So why not leverage the software best practices that we've used? And this is sort of where the Data Vault methodology takes its roots and allows you to say, well, I can stand on the shoulders of giants. If I take the standards from the, from the methodology and I follow the standards in the methodology, I can leverage those standards and build better software faster and cheaper. And you know, there's a story from Lockheed Martin, which we're going to get into here in a minute, which I'll just share. But uh, I'll share the story now. You want to talk about faster turnarounds. We got to the point where we could build, if we had the data in the warehouse by the time we got to production, from the time we got the user requirement, and there was a, there was a method to gathering a use case or a user story, we used to call them user requirements, there was a method to gathering those that was also agile in nature. Um, and from the time we received that use case to the time we prototyped a display in development was a four hour turnaround. This was in the 90s with a team of three and a half people. So 
if you think about that, you need a you need a consistent, agile methodology that you can deliver quickly on that is standardized around the world. And if we could do that in four hours back in the 90s, imagine what you could do in 15 minutes today using some form of a, a, a tool that that expedites that entire process. It sounds like, um, you know, and I know this for a fact because, you know, I've worked with you for years, but the business value coming out of a data vault uh, is almost self-evident. Uh, if we take the perspective that um, data vault is going to deliver value with each release. So in this case, you know, from, from requirement to, you know, uh, exposure in development, it's, it's four hours. How else does, I mean, I know there's a lot of, there are a number of ways, but can you give us some more insight into um, perhaps one other area of risk mitigation for the business um, yeah. that, uh, that Data Vault delivers? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to list another case here from Lockheed. For those of you that don't know, we will cover the Lockheed story in depth in, a, in another podcast. We'll dive into that one into details. Uh, so listen close for that one. That'll come up uh, soon. But I'll share this story from Lockheed as well. This was one of the original risk mitigation factors for or reasons for building the warehouse. Uh, we had a bunch of finance people running around the business saying, you know, we can't balance our operational reports. And they were swearing this. Now, let me give you some ideas to the size of Lockheed. Lockheed was, at that time in the 90s, seven sectors of business uh, with 159,000 employees, thereabouts, and uh, divided into 53 different companies, all managed by their own PL. So IT was essentially the ring around the collar where I couldn't talk to the person next to me in IT without putting them on a charge number, right? So what that meant was, you know, just because they were in IT, they weren't funded to talk to me or give me any time. So it was a very odd environment because IT teams were competing for dollars. So we had this business problem where the operational reports wouldn't balance. And that had been going on for something like 20 years at, at Lockheed. When we produced the reports, and to put some, let me, let me back up, to put some context around it, we had about 53 business analyst managers. I worked for IT in the astronautics division where we launched rockets, supported shuttle missions, NASA was one of our customers, the NSA, DOD, and of course, commercial rockets and some of the satellites that are used for comms today. So all of those things were our customer. We, we built all the warehousing to handle the manufacturing, the planning, the controls, the finance, and the people, all the time cards that the people were stamping on the work that were going out. So when we built the, the warehouse, one of the points of the warehouse was to find out where or why these reports would never balance that the users were developing on their own off the operational system. So we found the problem to make a long story short, and this is a long story, by the way, that I can take easily a half an hour with this thing. Um, we found the problem and the problem was the mainframe, which used COBOL and some would call it a mid range. It was actually a Z series AS4, sorry, an AS400 running COBOL. And we had a, we, we, you know how COBOL reports are set up 
for the header is one set of code and then the details is one set of code and then the, the subtotals is one set of code and the grand totals are one set of code. Well, the grand totals didn't match the subtotals, wouldn't, wouldn't aggregate up and the subtotals wouldn't aggregate to some of the details on some of the pages, but most of the pages, they would all work fine. So these operational reports would come out of the mainframe. And as, as it turns out, they had Lockheed contracts with hours charged to them that had no contract number. Of, you, you think a contract number, holy smokes. How do you charge the, the customer, which was the US government in this case, how do you recoup that cost or that money without a charge, without an actual uh, contract number on it? Because you don't know where to put the hours. So you can't, the answer is you can't charge the government. So you, you, that's a money loss, right? I asked the financial group, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we write it off. I said, write it off for 20 years? Yep, that's what they've been doing. So in the warehouse, we actually found a problem because we, didn't, we don't aggregate things that way using SQL. We found out that the contract numbers were null and these are primary business keys, right? These are things you find in an Excel spreadsheet that you would use in Excel to group your, your data at the business level, but they were missing. So of course the search screens on the operational system couldn't even pull up the data, but the detail code said, I found, I found hours on this stuff. Uh, so they would, they would produce them uh, when the hours and the contract number were there, they'd show up in the details. But when the contract number was missing, they wouldn't be in the details, but they would show up in the subtotals or the grand totals, causing the grand totals and the subtotals to be completely off so this went on and on and on, but this was one of the risks put forward that the data vault and the data warehouse done quote right uh, was built to solve and built to handle. So we actually provided a provable audit trail through the warehouse using the data vault methodology. We could prove where the data came from, what was wrong with it, all the way down to the, the reports and show them that for the last 20 years or so, this is where they were off and how they were off and which contracts were missing these things. And so that was one of the risks that we mitigated. It saved, ultimately the data quality improved. They, the business users had to go to filing cabinets, pull out the paper files to find the original contract numbers and manually issue, sorry, issue change requests to manually enter those into the COBOL system and adjust or update the records on the operations side. Once they did that, then the data quality improved and all of a sudden they started showing up, not only on the operational reports, but on our reports. And then they could manage it. They could say, well, this contract is no longer, this, this one's expired, right? This one's done, this one's been delivered. And so they, they were able to renumerate the government and fix the misgivings on all the calculations and get adjustments. Now, the government did something interesting. You wanna talk about risk. The government then awarded Lockheed and, and you say, well, wait a minute, it was Lockheed's problem. They misbilled the government. Well, because of transparency and disclosure, Lockheed was transparent, disclosed the problem, disclosed the fact they had a fix, disclosed what the discrepancy was, and then rectified the dollar amounts. Because the government didn't have to send in their own auditors, which was a team of 15 people that came in every year, it cost the government money. Because the government didn't have to do that, they turned around and said, we saved X amount of dollars by not having to send the auditors in for this problem. So we're gonna award you a percentage of the savings, right? 
So Lockheed won in the end. So this was an example of risk mitigation tied in with actual financial gain that Lockheed got as a result. That story actually touches on a number of things that I hope we'll get into in in future podcasts. But among those things are, uh, you know, the issue of auditability out of the data, the issue of providing the business with a feedback loop on on quality also, and the opportunity to reduce uh, technical debt, if you will, overall in a warehouse. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. If you could talk just for a moment or so about one of the presentations that we had uh, during the conference uh, by uh, Roche Diagnostics, which uh, we were all quite fascinated with. Uh, Could you talk a a little bit about that? Yeah, the Roche story is, a, is an amazing one. They just started. This is one of their very early stories that they presented at our conference. And they just began this journey. I guess I want to say about a year ago, they began the journey. And the Roche story is interesting because they're doing it at an enterprise level and they're working with data mesh as well as data vault. So data mesh is the overlying concept or constructs for the teams and the distributed governance and uh, the ways of working and so on and so forth. But then you have all the implementation standards and all the methodology, how to do it. And that's all coming from the data vault methodology. So they have about 2000 personnel in IT worldwide that they have to manage and govern. And these are different cultures and different teams in different cultures in different countries and so on. They also have all the governance and the security around the data that they have to abide by. So this speaks to the ability for the data vault solution to be used or utilized in a distributed environment, a global distributed environment. Uh, Paul Rankin actually said that they asked Zemeck how to implement data mesh And Zemeck's answer was, that's not in scope. So I found that totally fascinating. Uh, Data mesh is a concept and it's a great one. And it's got lots of underlying concepts that are also very, very good uh, ideas, right? And we've seen a lot of these ideas over the past 30 years as well. And so enterprise governance and enterprise architecture still is the lead you got to have a single board somewhere saying, hey, you know, we don't want to cross the streams or duplicate the development effort, right? We were doing that back at Lockheed because we had distributed teams around the world for Lockheed as well that we had to worry about. So with this 2,000-person environment, we heard all about how Data Mesh and Data Vault work together to solve these business problems uh, alongside of distributed governance and what they're doing with the, with the IT people. If they have 2,000 people in, in IT, you can only imagine how many business analysts they have. They didn't give us a number for that, but I'm sure it's a lot more. So, you know, for every IT person, this is my opinion only now, for every IT person, I would assume there has to be at least three business analysts to, to, to make the right decisions in the company. That's just my ratio. Uh, but, but again, I don't have an accurate number for Roche. But, you know, the other thing that, that, that comes to mind, you, you've now heard about the Lockheed story, which is massive, uh, at least the tip of the iceberg there. You've heard about the Roche story. But the other thing is that you might be thinking, well, Data Vault is only for large scale organizations. And that's not true either. 
So let me give you another example from a couple of years ago, we had a presentation at the conference and I've worked with small companies throughout my life uh, on, on data vault implementations. And this particular uh, company wasn't really a company, it's two students at Western Carolina University. They presented at the conference. So two students and one professor in six months well, actually, Dan, I, I know a little bit about the Western Carolina story that might help fill in, you know, a little bit here. Uh, if I recall correctly, what they did was they were looking at demographics and Western Carolina was looking at, I believe it was one county in North Carolina. Because of Data Vault, they were actually able to expand that to all of North Carolina and eventually they were able to pull demographic data in from all over the U.S. So it was really a, a, a sort of a, a demonstration of uh, both the flexibility of Data Vault and also the iterative properties of building out a Data Vault. Fantastic story with a small team and a huge success. Uh, so in the upcoming podcast, I think we're going to venture a little further into the journey of Data Vault. We'll have another podcast that focus on the Lockheed story in depth. We'll, we'll reiterate that one for you and give you a lot more details. Uh, we'll try to find out more about other businesses as well. We might invite some guest speakers along the way. Maybe we can get Paul Rankin from Roche to come and talk to you guys. We're also going to start defining the terminology as we go. We'll drop a few hints and terms. So if you don't know what EDW stands for, Enterprise Data Warehouse, for example, things like that, and try to share uh, some terminology with you, language standards that we uh, hold near and dear to the data vault heart, if you will. Uh, and in some of our ep episodes, we'll also try to go back to basics, as we mentioned early on, talk about data warehousing basics, talk about what you need to know knowledge-wise for successful careers in data warehousing and analytics and BI. And just because we're into data science and AI and ML today doesn't mean we can leave our roots behind. And that's, I think, a very important point. You can learn how to be a data scientist, but if you don't understand how and where to acquire the data or what to do with it or how to gauge whether it's good or bad or you know, meets the needs, then, then that's going to be a, a knowledge gap that we, we think we want to help you close a little bit. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Cindy, for uh, this chat. And I'll see everybody next time. Great. Thank you, Dan. See you next time.